Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. Welcome to episode five of Engaging ESG. Today, we're focusing on employee engagement, a key stakeholder group when it comes to your ESG comm strategy. Now, if you are joining us for the first time, please check out our earlier episodes. We'd love to hear what you think of the series so far. Katie, can you believe we're at the halfway point? No, I cannot. I cannot (laughs) believe it is episode five of 10. The time has really been flying, and I have to tell you, I yes. am very excited about the topic today. It's something that is near and dear to my heart. What? I'm Employees. so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think some people are a little bit nervous about employee engagement, and rightly so. You know, mm. it's the largest and most diverse internal stakeholder group that a team has to think about. And so I know a lot of folks have felt really daunted about thinking about engaging employees. And so I come to this conversation as the employee, because when I joined (laughs) Meta and, you know, I got recruited to come over to the sustainability team, which was thrilling because you guys are all super cool. And like, it's like getting to sit at the cool kids table at the cafeteria. So thank you for letting me put my tray down. (laughs) Anytime. But, you know, you guys had a lot of conversations already started. You know, you're trying to catch up on what the cool kids are talking about. And, you know, you want to be onboarded in that term so fast. You know, I want to know what's happening. How can I be productive and the like? And so to get up to speed, it was so helpful because there, you know, you'll be surprised to hear that Facebook basically has its own internal social media channels. And there is a whole channel called Climate and Sustainability FYI, which was the first place I went because that's where the conversations were happening. And then there were resource elements. Just, you know, stop me if I'm saying anything you already know. (laughs) But there were wiki pages and there were org charts and there were employee essays. There were all this stuff that I could tap into and basically do my own learning course. Yeah, I'm so glad that you felt that (laughs) way. We definitely, and by we, I mean me for a while, (laughs) just me (laughs) at the beginning, built out a lot of infrastructure. And I think it's helpful to think about kind of the journey because of course, all of those things didn't get created overnight. And Jen, when you came in, there was a wealth of documentation for you to catch up on, which was great. But I think one thing to think about is, you know, you have people who are working on the sustainability team like yourself and me, but those are often teams of people that are very small. 
Like, let's say if you're lucky at a big company, you have a few hundred people that are working on what I like to capital say capital S sustainability. They have it in their title or social impact, one of the ESG functions. Right. And that's great. But that usually leaves around 99% of the company (laughs) without formal roles or titles or awareness. And yet they touch And yet it. they're super important to the work. There's no way that like a team that's small can enact any major kind of ESG work, whether that's climate goals, whether that's philanthropy, whether that, you know, is governance without right. the support of many teams and many individuals. And so investing early on and in how you communicate with employees about this work and giving them opportunities to engage is crucial. Yeah. You can see how I come in, you know, and like, and I start walking through the garden that's been beautifully planted and it's sprouting (laughs) everywhere. But you could be, you know, where do you start? Who do you target? Because your audience, you know, at a humongous company like Meta, you're talking thousands of people. How do you talk to them? How it really, it's some of the questions that I'm thinking that you're dealing with are very similar to external. Yes. That you're still talking to a, a heterogeneous, audience. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's a lot about audience segmentation, which we've talked about on earlier episodes. And, you know, one thing that I'll just note before jumping into that is I think Drawdown has a great line about this. They say, let's make every job a climate job. Oh, and I love so that's it. kind of been, yeah, like a, the, a North Star that I've always thought about, which is, you know, how can we get every function and individual at the company to see their work within the climate lens, within the ESG lens, the diversity and, lens? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's probably likely that many of the employees at your company, even if it's not as big as Meta, are really eager to think about their uh, work. You know, there's a lot of information about kind of purpose-driven employees and the like. And so there's a lot of folks that are eager for this information, but like, how do we package it and Mm -hmm. provide it in a way that is accessible? And so that's where I think kind of breaking down a bit of the quote unquote target market with employees is helpful. Oh, that's interesting. Just yeah. like we would do externally, you know, when we would exactly figuring out a market campaign for like the magazines I've worked for or the website, you know, we come down to like, who are we targeting? And so to think you're doing it internally, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so the way that I have thought about it is kind of like a spectrum. So you have some folks on the left side of the spectrum, let's say, that are highly engaged, highly aware, highly motivated. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then on the right side of the spectrum, we have people with less awareness, maybe less interest and engagement. And that's where kind of the two extremes are. And then you have somewhere in the middle, which, is, which I like to think of as awareness of some of the issues. And as we've noted, there's usually a host of ESG issues that a company touches upon. So it doesn't just have to be climate. It doesn't just have to be social impact. And maybe they're moderately engaged, but there's quite a delta in terms of what's possible. And so thinking about this idea of like, how do we move folks who are in the middle to the high engagement piece? Now, is there a general rule of thumb of like how many, you know, when you're like, it's how big is the middle versus the ends? Great question. So a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine from uh, Microsoft shared with me this really interesting study that was done by Ogilvy and Mather on 
the American population to assess green sentiments across the country. And without getting too into the weeds, what they found is that around 79% of Americans characterize themselves as somewhere in the middle when it comes to living a green or sustainable lifestyle. And then when they did a little bit of segmentation analysis, taking other data into account, they found about it was closer to probably 82% of Americans having good green intentions. But of those 82, only 16 had really dedicated themselves and their actions to fulfilling these intentions. Uh. Putting, yeah, somewhere around like 66, firmly in the middle. And I think that actually really pans out to what I've seen in some different employee populations. You know, you have usually around 15 to 20% as the super engaged or the super greens, as they were called in the study. (laughs) And then you have the informed yet let ask active, you know, engaged as kind of the middle greens. So that's maybe a 60 to 70% of the population. And then 15 to 20% of kind of the the low engagement, low interest, probably not worth catering a lot of content to. And, you know, I think even though that study focused on sustainability, it does really encompass a lot of ESG topics. And while this is also very, you know, US-based metrics, we know we have global listeners. My guess is that for especially like EMEA-based companies, the number of super greens would be even higher. So you could kind of mm. move that segmentation a little bit to the left. I like it. You would be in these these awesome events that our massive internal comms team for the sustainability team would run massive team. I mean, massive, which was Katie. <laughs> and, they, and you would see, you know, there's always live messaging during the event and you would get a lot of engagement and you would you know, you tend to see maybe some of the same voices pop up, you know, that that asking really good questions. And you also get questions from people that, you know, would say, geez, I didn't know Meta was doing so much. Is there a place we would go? And my heart would die a little bit because there is this Meta sustainability website right there for you. I'm trying really hard. And I could say, you know, what's interesting in watching that happen was I had been working on business equity content and before uh, meta sustainability and even the heads of the ERGs, the employee resource groups, we would be doing something directly related to their group, their affinity group. And they wouldn't know that the group existed. They wouldn't know we were creating content. And, and my first thought would be like, how can you not know this is your topic? And then, you know, you have to take a step back and realize, geez, these guys have basically two full-time jobs. They have their actual, what they were hired to do at Meta, and then they're leading an affinity group, which is massive and global at a big company. And then, wait, you're not paying attention to everything that I'm creating? So there becomes a need to, even with the external content, to make sure it's socialized internally so that even the leaders in these certain affinity groups would know what's happening and can get buy-in for it. Definitely. Yeah. I think one thing that you and other folks probably think a lot about is external channels and how noisy those can be. And I have found that internal can be the same. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of announcements. People have been distracted by the pandemic, by job, all these different things. And so I think going into every engagement and communications activity or output with the thought of like, 
people probably haven't seen this before. There's been new mm-hmm. hires and definitely not taking it personally. Yeah. <laughs> Some people <laughs> do ask again and again, like, where is this? But so I feel like you were leading us a little bit into, you know, the how of employee yeah. engagement. So just to bring us back, you know, I think if we think about kind of the super engaged and the middle engaged, if you reach those two groups, you have essentially reached 70 to 80% of the company. <laughs> right. Wow. Right. That's a huge win. Anyone who works in the space of employee engagement will say that rarely yeah. happens. And so congrats. Yeah. And I think one of the things that can be helpful, especially if you're a little bit earlier on your employee comms, employee engagement journey with all things ESG, is to really prioritize what you're communicating and how you're communicating because and we'll maybe talk about this a little bit more later, there's going to be the super active, super interested employees, that kind of super side, right? And they have the potential to take all of the energy and focus of your team. And it's not a bad thing, right? Right. Like I would always say, I'm glad that we have these super engaged employees because it's better than us having to like go around begging people to care. Yeah. But at the same time, I have struggled with this in the past, and I know others have as well, is like, how do you balance the amount of effort that you're putting into content and activations that reach those who are most eager to it and most receptive to Mm -hmm. the long tail of folks who aren't being reached and aren't being engaged? Right. Yeah. And so... Some of the things that we've already talked about around comms deliverables, you know, website, creator content reports, those are all great. But where you can really drive into employee education to kind of another level, I think, is really thinking about what works for your company. Are there already education platforms? Use them to your advantage. Doing a course can take a lot of budget and capacity. And maybe you don't have that right now, but maybe it's just an internal wiki page or an internal chat group to really discuss what's happening at the company. Mm -hmm. You know, another output that gets discussed a lot is the idea of newsletters, which are fun. You know, they come in somewhat of a regular cadence and they can have a mix of both kind of programmatic updates, what's happening with the ESG team, and also maybe some newsworthy articles. But once again, like if you build a audience base for the newsletter and then it's one of 12,000 things on your plate and it falls off, yeah, that's going to hurt your relationship with that employee audience. I completely agree. I feel that this is very much, we're like on both sides of the mirror. It's the <laughs> exact same thing for external. You can start something and it's not that I'm against starting new things, but please do think of these things as long-term commitments. Mm-hmm. The first three newsletters are super fun. Number 46 gets to be tiring. But is there a reason to be doing it? And also watching your open rates and your click-through rates. I mean, is it, are people actually responding to what you're putting down? Are they picking it up? It's the same. And, you know, how many newsletters are they already getting? I don't know. I like the idea of if every job is a climate job, what if every existing internal content piece is a climate content piece? You know, has some oh, sort I of tie-in. That. Yeah, exactly. How do we integrate ESG topics into existing communications and existing programming? Right. Because that will will save you time. And ideally, you can kind of run with the momentum of what's already happening at the company. 
and one of the reasons in because I, I always think externally, but you know, what are the things you're doing is you're creating megaphones, you're creating mm-hmm. advocates from your own company to take it out and one, tell your story, just even in casual conversation, but also your company's clients are asking these questions. So what you're doing is you're informing and making resources that your the sales team can grab really easy. You want to make it grab and go for these kind of topics so that they feel informed, they feel comfortable talking about it. And even if you have to keep reminding them where all this stuff lives, so <laughs> which is fine. Totally. I think this idea of kind of ambassador and advocates is a really strong one because depending on where employees are in their educational journey around ESG topics and activation, they're going to be a different kind of tier of support, right? So if we think about, you know, there was if we can delve for a second into kind of like the super greens at Meta, there yeah. were, you know, folks who were really excited about seeing sustainability work happen in the offices because they were seeing, they were going into the kitchens every day, they were seeing the waste. And so for them, they really wanted to partner with facilities to understand, you know, what were their sustainability roadmaps and how can we advocate for things in the office? And that relationship, quite frankly, at times could be really tense. Because maybe they'd see a lot of single-use plastic coming in to a micro kitchen. Ask questions about it, right? Yeah, and water bottles, and maybe these were things that the culinary team or the facilities team were trying to advocate for on their end. But then you get these employees coming in, and they can be a useful tool actually for negotiating on the strategy side if we work together. But if they just came at them in kind of this like, yeah, you know, more what aggressive, are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and it just kind of added more work for those teams. And so one of the things that I tried to do with our green teams that were great partners for us around employee sentiment around these topics was to say like, hey, y'all have insights into what the employees are looking for and prioritize in a way that we don't because we are coming from this place of action and initiation and like how can we meet each other halfway from a place that is like yeah. listening and and kind of collaboratively build this work and in that way we built a lot of trust yeah and partnership among the employee community and kind of key practitioners in this space and then those folks saw that the work was getting valued and they could also bring that back to their leadership to kind of initiate more of it. Uh, and, and for sure. And and then you would have these wonderful internal, massive internal events where yes. people from the facilities team would come speak and talk about all this amazing work they're doing or the travel team or, you know, just yeah. kind of getting to see this peek into the breath of the work that these other every job is a climate job kind of approach was happening. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, if we have the like foundation of education from like a passive communications tools, so like the wiki pages, the website, the report, those are all like static documents. Yeah. Then we think about events. We think about, you know, what's the interactivity? Where are the opportunities for folks to get involved and get engaged And we ended up developing a content calendar that kind of had two milestone events. So in April, we do stuff around Earth Day. We called it Earth Week. In September, we do the climate. You've gone out on a limb with that one. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it it got very popular such that people asked if it should become Earth Month. And I told them I have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Now, let's be real. Didn't you have something like 50 
panels or I'm not, that's not hyperbole, is it? Yeah. The, okay. the content got huge. So basically the idea with Earth Week was we had our internal channel for all things updates from different teams and the like. And we wanted that channel to basically have active content on it every six hours or so for the entire wow. week. So it was like a TV station a little yeah. bit. It <laughs> no really matter was. when you were it's- awake. <laughs> in the different offices. And so, yeah, it was this really amazing coordination effort. But what brought me the most joy, honestly, about, you know, the 30 plus events and 40 different global teams that were involved was that it really was a megaphone for everything that was happening across the company, whether it was data center design, water stewardship, climate product work. Like there are so many pieces of this work that as comms professionals, we got insight into. And I basically felt like I got to give everyone just like a boost up Mm -hmm. and to push that support. And then not only was it a great opportunity for employees to see this work, but it provided two other important outputs, which I think are valuable when you're thinking about, do I want to invest in actually doing an internal streamed event? One is that team then has a deliverable that they can then share out when yes. people ask and say like, hey, so what is your team doing on this carbon reduction program? You can say, oh, well, we did a 20-minute panel about it for yep. Earth Week. Let me share that with Let you. Let me put it in our newsletter for our team. for the Exactly. You know, put yeah. it in your newsletter or maybe save you a 30-minute meeting having to explain to someone because <laughs> it exists in a panel. Oh, love that time God saving. God bless you for saving us from another 30-minute meeting. <laughs> That's also like a great deliverable that you can share with executives when you're trying to get more support for the work, right? Because you can say like, wow, we had a thousand people watch this video. Clearly employees are interested. Clearly folks are invested. But then to get back to every job being a climate job, oftentimes this work was very collaborative. Like teams with capital S sustainability jobs, for example, would move pretty far into a process and then be like, dang, you know, if only I had someone who had access to this part of the supply chain or this like part of a design process. And often those people exist and they are ESG curious, so to speak, (laughs) but don't really know how to tap in. And now you're creating not only a vehicle for sharing and celebrating that work, but also giving people a really clear way that they can then participate and support and elevate. Right. I love it. And then that was April. You guys yes. had a bunch of other wonderful events because I still have the, um, I still use my tea cup all the time from the. Oh, <laughs> yeah, from the Climate and Sustainability Summit. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So, Earth Week started about five years ago. I started organizing it, it was a big success. My director joked about turning into Earth Month. I almost had a heart attack. Yes. But I said, Okay, you let's maybe do a second milestone event. You know, Climate Week, as many folks in the space know, is another milestone moment in September. We'll do something similar. We won't do a week, but we'll do it has like basically a one day internal conference. So instead mm-hmm. of 20 to 30 different events, we'll do five or six. They'll all be on one day. It's kind of like a little yeah. internal. You know, you just do it, you know, with a stamp of your fingers, you know, five, six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the year that you were with us, which was the best, was the year that I perhaps over-enthusiastically was like, wow, well, we're going to be in New York. Yeah, we're back for, in person. That yeah, was a big like, thrill. Let's do it at the office. Mm-hmm. Not just any office. Let's do it at the office that will have just opened the previous new. week. Yeah. Because then- They were testing you- the fire alarms that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
then definitely all of the tech will be working. Yeah, all the facilities people will totally know what's what. Like it won't be a total hassle to bring in guest speakers. Literally, I won't have to look at the floor map every single time I leave the room. Sure. Yeah, it was as Jen is alluding. It was a little bit of a, a crazy town situation. But it was the first time since the pandemic that we actually had an in-person event. So we got to really interface not only with live speakers, I think about half of it was in-person, half of it was online, but actual employees who engage with this work, want to get involved with this work, have those conversations. And I can't tell you how valuable that was for me and our partners just to really see the physical humans and have that exchange of ideas and collaboration. Yeah, just getting to ask questions of the panel, like, right, you know, that was really great. Yeah, exactly. Well, I could clearly talk about this all day. So I'm just going to like go quickly with a couple of other things that we did to like help folks think about ways that they might want to apply it within their company. So we had these two big events, Earth Week and the Summit. And then in between those, wanted to develop opportunities to continue the conversation and activation opportunities, but maybe from like less of a intensive basis. So for folks that wanted to get involved with more technical work, we organized sustainability hackathons. We did executive Q&As that I called sustainability talks, (laughs) where I'd have folks with a cup of tea and we kind of have a discussion of all things for that topic and for their team. We would do executive panels around new partnerships or launches. We got onto the company-wide Q&A a couple of times mm. to once again highlight, you know, how can you integrate yourself into existing communication channels, existing vehicles. And then the last thing I'll note is around employee engagement, we also were doing scope three reduction pilots. So we worked with the climate club team to yes. also do kind of furthering of education around food and waste as well as activations in the office to really track Uh, that work. And then you also noted travel earlier. We worked closely with the travel team. So by the end of it, there was a whole portfolio of both like regular kind of passive written content as well as ongoing events. And as more people got involved, I think the more they saw was like, oh, I don't need to wait for Katie to ask me to participate when we have a launch or we have a report coming out. I can come to her proactively. And so maybe that's like one of the last things that I'll close with is It's partly, I find this work is productive when you can not only create the opportunities for partner teams and employees to participate, but also train them to identify when those opportunities are on their roadmap before Mm -hmm. you even come to them. Right. I don't know if you have any thoughts about the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Seeding them to come to you and say, oh my gosh, can we do this? And Mm -hmm. which is, it's great. I mean, you've won half the battle when they come to you with a great idea. So yes, for sure. Which, so we have all these wonderful, especially the live events. And then you have typically it, well, it could be not always the super greens could be the middle, you know, people kind of new to stuff who start asking kind of difficult questions and difficult to, you know, a judgment they're asking really specific questions or or saying, wait, you've set our net zero goal is for scope three is 2030. That's, wait, that's so far, you know, stuff like that. And so I'm wondering if you have tips on the idea of how to respond to those in real time when stuff comes up at events like that. 
Yeah, definitely. I think one of the best practices that I learned was it's kind of like building a phone tree. (laughs) So before we do a partnership announcement or an event, I would try to identify who from the climate team, who from the human rights team, who's basically on deck to answer questions because that is so important. And that way, like when they're coming in live, we can either tag those folks in or they're also watching the stream. And that way, you know, the employees can feel like they're being heard. One of the things that was really clear to me was sometimes the questions would come off a little harsh or off base, right. like 20, 30, what? That's so far away. Yeah. And or you hear initial, them harshly, right? They right. might be thinking, well, that seems like a long time away. And you hear it as, that's how far, you know. <laughs> there totally. Is that. You definitely build your own filter background for that. Yeah. But I think so just knowing that they're coming from a place of like willingness to learn and that you can be that vector of information. And ideally when they learn, they will then, you know, teach others within the company, but having kind of folks on deck to answer questions. And sometimes these comment threads would get almost heated, right? Like people would ask like a question. Like almost their separate event. I'd have to turn them off. Like I'd have to kind of move the screen because I, I can't concentrate on the conversation because this other conversation is happening. So yeah. Yeah. That's so for sometimes sure. they would get a little spicy. Yeah. And what I would say to folks who are kind of doing the comms in that regard is, is two things. One is, you know, usually those conversations get long-winded for two reasons. One is, what we're telling them, they just don't really understand. Like there's something about maybe like the science or the technicality. And so in that place, I would often offer to be like, Hey, I'd love to jump on the phone with you, you know, to have like a 10 minute call, which always went over very well. They felt so appreciative that you were taking a little extra time. But I mean, honestly, the other thing we do a lot of is just like post the report, post articles, post these comms contents that you and I had helped that we've created right it's here you know we're trying to share you know Mm -hmm. and I think just you know also keep the mindset of the best intent that people are here because they want to learn they want to participate you're here to facilitate that and so how can you do that in a way that hopefully doesn't add a ton more work to your plate and your colleagues plate but they see it as part of their mission to communicate this work and get everyone involved I love the real timeness of it because that's when they were all gathered. They all came yes. to the, the town square and catch them, you know, answer them as you can while you can. And sometimes say, that is a good question. Let me mm-hmm. come back to you on that. Totally. And I think just honesty and being yeah. heard, that was another thing where like a lot of times it seemed people wanted the answer, but also they just wanted to know that there was another human on the other side right. instead of just like, a robot or just like someone like spitting out really insincere talking points. So humanizing (laughs) these topics that people feel incredibly passionate about can be really vital to helping to build those relationships and that big depth of ambassadors. Now you recently hosted a workshop at Green Biz around this for, you know, the, the broader community. Are there some like tips that you gave them that you can, we can close out with? Yes, definitely. Got to host a a great employee engagement workshop in February. And some of the great takeaways from those discussions were, I think, 
when we work in the space of ESG, we really focus on the goals, the big picture, what we're driving towards. Mm -hmm. But again and again, what we heard from employees was that if they don't see you focusing on the small things, how will they know you're focusing on the big? Oh. So this materiality of priority topics versus visibility, I think, has been something that is really challenging because let's say you have a net zero goal, but you also have disposable water bottles. Okay, great. Yeah. Like I see you have a climate goal, but you can't even do this really basic thing. Like, I don't know if I can trust you. Right. The low hanging fruit. Yes. Is what you see, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what they're like physically coming into contact with. Yes. Which, you know, for a company like Meta and a lot of other companies, like maybe the big part of their footprint isn't on site. It might not be where employees are coming into every day. And so, yes, that's a big part of the company's footprint. But like, if I don't see it, then how do I know it's happening? Because Mm -hmm. as discussed, comms and events and stuff sometimes get seen, but often don't. So they're really seeing this through the visual of their lived experience. Right. And then just two more quick things before we close. I think really aligning sustainability education and recognition programs to those celebrated into your organization can reduce red tape, which is really helpful for increasing access. You know, we talked a bit about hackathons and there's also kind of greenest idea awards. And then we're in not the best economic times. People don't have a lot of budget for necessarily big awards for engaged performers. But one of the things that we started doing was, you know, coffee with the chief sustainability officer, pitch competition for the board. Recognition doesn't always have to mean swag or money. It can also mean accountability and visibility, which can be sometimes an even more valuable reward in the end. Right. For sure. Oh, I love that. You know, they in a million years ago when I we did a lot of research around the difference between a job and a career, Mm. feeling what some of the ways you define a career is feeling that you have opportunity for advancement, you have connection, you are growing. So anyone at any level can see their work as a career through those lens. And these are the types of things you're rewarding. This is part of the reward is kind of helping people grow. And right. so I love all that. So definitely. Well, we are going to wrap up and we're going to say thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG this week. What's coming up next week, Katie? Next week, we're going to dive into another highly engaged ESG stakeholder, investors. So join us. And until next week, keep engaging. Thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow, and even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging.